All right, we're looking at Matthew three thirteen through chapter 4, verse 11. So let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Grass withers and flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further. Heavenly Father, these are your words. You have been good enough to reveal yourself to us through your word, through your son. And Father, we pray that you will tonight teach us these words that you will be with us in spite of our sins, that you will speak tonight in spite of my sins, that you will cause me as the speaker to fade into the background, but what you have to tell us will, will come alive to us. Father, we pray, we know that if, if you don't do that, then nothing good will happen here tonight. But Father, you say that your word goes out and it accomplishes its purposes. And so we pray that that will happen even now. That we will leave this place different than when we came. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess, uh, I don't know, about a year ago or so I was watching TV and I came across a show called Bully Beatdown. Anybody familiar with Bully Beatdown? Most everybody. Uh, show on MTV that... Um, if you haven't seen it, I, I think I would say I would recommend it to you, um, at least for what it is. Uh, but if you don't know it, the basic premise is this. The show takes uh, somebody that gets picked on a lot, um, and they take that person that gets picked on and the person that picks on them, the bully, right? And they're the two contestants on the show. And the way the show works is basically the bully... They set the bully up to fight an MMA fighter, a professional fighter, and they train him a little bit, they give him some basic training, 
and they give him, uh, I don't remember the exact stats, but basically starts out with $10,000. The bully starts out with $10,000 uh, in his sort of account. And if he lasts three rounds with the MMA fighter, uh, if he doesn't tap out, if he doesn't uh, uh, quit, whatever, then he gets to keep the money. Every time he taps out, every time he gets knocked out or whatever, he loses $1,000. So if he can go the full amount of time, it's just three rounds, like nine minutes. Uh, then he gets to keep the money. All right, so I did a little research. There have been 24 episodes. The bully has won 14% of the money. 14% of the money. Um, it's, they don't call it bully beatdown for no reason, right? Um, it, it generally gets pretty ugly. But it, it's kind of a beautiful show in, in one sense because essentially what they do is they take somebody that can never take up for themselves they take somebody that could never fight for themselves and they give them, they put this professional, this just hero of a man in their place and he fights on their behalf and at least 86% of the time just beat down the bully and win. Um, so they have somebody that's too weak to fight, they have somebody fighting in their place. And I think that that's exactly what's going on in this passage. Uh, maybe strangely enough, but I think that's a good illustration of what's happening here. Uh, we're talking, we're studying through the book of Matthew this semester, and we've been saying that Matthew is all about the theme of fulfillment, showing that Jesus, that this guy named Jesus, is the fulfillment of, of everything. Certainly the fulfillment of all the Old Testament hopes that God was going to send a hero one day. Somebody to come and, and make all the wrongs right. That he's going to send a hero and that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. And what we see in this passage, I want to suggest to you tonight over the next few minutes, is that we have a hero that identifies with us. We've got a hero in Jesus that comes and identifies with his people. And so I want to look at three things tonight. First is this, that in our weakness, a righteousness is needed. And then secondly, so I guess it's really two things. Secondly, I want us to see that Jesus identifies with us in two ways. In his righteousness and in our weakness. So first, in our weakness, a righteousness is needed. I think if you, you know, you're reading along in Matthew and you get to this passage, probably, I would guess that one of the questions that would probably come to our minds is, why in the world would Jesus be getting baptized? Because... You know, you probably know that baptism is at least some sort of a symbol of being cleansed of your sins, you know, being washed clean. So why would Jesus need to come and do that? Um, and I think even if you, if you were there that day, uh, it, it probably would have struck you as odd, right? John has actually been preaching about the one that's going to come. There's going to be a hero that comes, He's going to be amazing. He's going to, he's going to take care of everything for us. He's going to put, make all the wrongs right. And then uh, he, Jesus shows up and he says, this is him. And Jesus shows up and he says, I want to be baptized. And I think, it, at least at first blush, it seems like John has it right, doesn't he? That, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Why would you? You should baptize me. Why am I going to baptize you? And Jesus explains himself in verse 15. 
if you look there, he says basically that it's to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Well, in one sense, John did have it right. Jesus, Jesus didn't need to be cleansed from any sins. But what Jesus is showing us is that he's come, he's showing us a little bit about how, how he's going to do what he's come to do. He's come to stand in his people's place. Because it would be crazy to see like, you know, all these people that are coming, uh, repenting of their sins, they're coming in repentance and they're going to get baptized, and then to see the one that uh, is being proclaimed as their hero come and, and do the same thing. Put himself in, that, in, in the exact same position that they're in, submitting to baptism. But what I want to get you to see is that Jesus is not, Jesus is not doing this to, for his righteousness, but he's doing it for our righteousness. He's, he's coming and submitting to baptism to fulfill our righteousness. He's going to come and be us for us. He's going to come and switch places with us. Now that may not sound too strange, right? Especially if you are here last week. We talked a lot about uh, Jesus switching places with us. He's going to die for our sins. Uh, that he's going to come and, and take our place in that regard. Die for our sins. And we hear that all the time. But I want you to think about this. That that's actually only half the story. The fact that we need someone... if. If you track with, with what the Bible teaches about sin and that everyone's a sinner and that that sin requires punishment, that Jesus comes and, you know, we all know Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but that's only half the story. He did come to die for our sins, but you and I, we don't just need to be forgiven. We actually need righteousness ourselves. We need to be righteous. Listen to a couple of quick passages. Hebrews 12, 14 says, uh, tells us to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In the Sermon on the Mount, which we're studying in small groups, and you should come, Jesus says that we need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. I think, have you ever thought about that? What, is, what does God require of us? Does He require that we uh, do our best? Um, that we try really hard? No, Jesus require, God requires that we be absolutely perfect. That's what God requires of us. And so therefore we need righteousness. We don't just need the problem taken away, we need something positive. I thought about it like this. Maybe this will be a helpful illustration. If you decided you wanted to go see some, uh, some of our nation's most top secret documents, you wanted to get somewhere very top secret, they show up at the Pentagon, I guess, wherever they you know, keep those sorts of things. They probably don't even know, tell us where they keep those sorts of things. But if you show up and you say, I want to, you know, I'd like to have, uh, what do you call it? Uh, no, what do you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to have, you know, uh, top, top secret clearance to see that. Um, they would probably, at the very least, right, first ask you, okay, and now who are you? So imagine if you tried to go at it from this angle. I'm a really good guy. Like, I have, my record is clear. I have never done anything that would, that should keep me from seeing these documents. Uh, you know, if you, you know, go research me, you'll, you won't find anything that, that should keep me from doing that. Right? That, that's not going to cut it. Right? And why not? 
Well, you don't just need to prove that, you ha- that, that your record is clean. You actually need some credentials, right? You need, you need something positive going for you. You need to have some, some worth to your name before you get to do something like that. Um, yeah, you've got to have credit to your name. And so that's what I'm trying to pitch to us, that we don't just need to be forgiven, but we actually need righteousness. And so I think we begin to see that the, problems, the problem of our hearts and of our lives is a lot deeper than we probably think at first. That sin really, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, spend more time on it, but that sin is not just the bad things that we do, right? The, those things that we need to be forgiven for. Oops, I, you know, I'm sorry I did it again, I need forgiveness. It is that. But even more than that, it's when we don't do the perfect thing. Uh, it's not when we... It's not when we refrain from, you know, uh, jumping in and, and making fun of somebody or, or gossiping about somebody, putting somebody down. It's when we don't, it's when we don't defend somebody. Um, it's not just not hurting our neighbor, you know, not giving our neighbor a hard time or being rude to them or what mean or whatever, uh, showing some sort of act of hatred. It's when we don't love them perfectly. When we don't give ourselves away in love and service to them. It's not just you know, not cheating on the test. It's the fact that we didn't study as hard as we possibly could and, 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 to, you know, and enjoy it. Study and, and feel God's pleasure when we study. The sin goes a whole lot deeper than we probably tend to think of. And so what I want to pitch to you tonight in this first point is that you and I need righteousness. We don't just need to be brought back to neutral. And so I want us to see, second point, I guess on the outline, second point, that Jesus identifies with his people. He identifies with us in two ways. First, with his righteousness. So Jesus is immediately led. He gets baptized by John. And uh, he hears, you know, the dove, something like a dove descends the Holy Spirit and he hears the voice of his Father. And then it says, the next thing is he's led by the Spirit, which is, a whole nother sermon or questions afterwards. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he goes from his baptism into the wilderness or the desert, same, same word, for 40 days. All right, now if you're familiar at all with the, with, with the Bible, the Old Testament, if you're not, certainly okay. But if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that might ring a bell with you. Uh, to spend four, you know, the number 40 being involved with uh, the wilderness or the desert might ring a bell. In the Old Testament, when God led his people out of Egypt, right, that's the, whole, that's the story of the Exodus. His people are enslaved in Egypt, and he leads them out, and then he parts the waters of the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land, and then he parts it back on the Egyptians. The New Testament refers to that as uh, when Israel passed through the waters of baptism, and what do they do? They go from there into the wilderness, or the desert, and they wander for 40 years. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy tells us that what God was doing, what was going on, is that God was testing His people. That He was putting His people to the test to see what was in their hearts and if, if they were going to follow His commandments or not. And if you remember the story, 
you can remember how, how well the Israelites do. They fail, they fail the test miserably. God leads them out. He saves their whole nation, like a million or two million people. He leads them out, saves their lives, and then they basically immediately start complaining about stuff. They start making up stuff like, it was better back in Egypt when we ate steak and you know, we had good food, which is just simply not true. Um, they complain. They, got, they fail miserably. And so do you, see what, do you see what's going on here in this story? That Jesus passes through the waters of baptism, and then he goes from there into the desert for 40 days. He's showing us that he's really giving us a... a uh, he's living out what his, what his people in the Old Testament did. He's become his people, and he's living it out. Uh, right here and now in the story. Interestingly enough, all of Jesus' responses to the devil, when he's, you know, devil tempts him three times, all of his responses are scripture, and they all come from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 and 8, where God, uh, Moses, God through Moses, tells us the story about them wandering in the desert. Jesus is, Jesus is making a point. He wants us to see something. He wants us to see that what he's done as the hero is he's come to stand in our place. He's come come to be tempted by the devil, to be put to the test. And where God's people in the Old Testament, and, and we certainly now, fail miserably, Jesus succeeds perfectly. Think about the, the, the beauty of that. That Jesus comes and he sort of acts out. He's the embodiment of his people. He, go, he essentially goes through life for them and he does it perfectly. He's tempted by the devil himself. And he withstands temptation perfectly. And we're going to get into detail on that in just a minute. But, and the beauty of it all is that you and I get the credit for what he did. He comes and lives a perfect life for us, and we get the credit. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came and stood in our place, and He earned, He, he never sinned. He earned righteousness so that he could give it and put it on us. So that we could have the righteousness that God requires. God counts Jesus' perfection as if it were yours. The very same perfection. So to sort of borrow from our earlier illustration, you get Jesus' credentials. You don't just get the bad stuff taken away. You get Jesus' credentials. Before God, uh, let's see. Four years ago, Amy and I went on a uh, on a trip, and we were going to go see a baseball game with another a couple friend of ours. It was the other guy's birthday, so we had this weekend planned, and we got uh, tickets. I have a friend in this town. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to you know, give away too much, but because I don't want to be a name dropper, you'll see. Um, and so I called my friend and said, is there any way that you could get us baseball tickets? 
And she said, uh, yes, I can, I can get you tickets, and I think they'll be pretty good tickets. And so, in fact, because her husband works uh, with this guy, she got us the tickets of the CEO of the company that owns the stadium. So those are pretty good seats, right? And not only did we get his, the CEO of the company, and it's a company you've all heard of, promise. Not only did we get his uh, tickets, we got his parking pass. And that was almost cooler. Because, so, picture this. We're in, at the time, we've gotten rid of this car now, because it was terrible. But we're in Amy's, our green Chevy Impala, okay? And I've got this parking pass, and we keep weaving our way through these, you know, lots for common people. And we get to the, like, stadium, right? The, the, the most, you know, inner circle lot there is. And there's a couple of guys sort of manning the gate, but they don't seem real interested. And so I, I start to, you know, do they want to talk to me? Evidently not. So I start to pull in, and my fr- Sammy, my friend in the back, says, I, I think this guy wants to talk to you. And so he comes over to the car, and he, he, I'm rolling down the window, <laughs> and he's just got this really condescending look on his face. And, and he says, um, can I help you? And I pulled my parking pass down, and I, I said, yeah, I mean, can, is, is this where we park? And so he sees my parking pass that I have the, par- I, the CEO of the company. And it was amazing how it was all, you know, we went from like, can I, can I help you? Because clearly your Chevy Impala self does not belong here. To like, oh, uh, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Welcome to the game, sir. Right? Um, and it was sort of sad how much I felt like, yeah, that's right. But, you know, <laughs> I deserve that. But so who am I? I'm driving a Chevy Impala. I'm nobody. I can't even, I can't even afford to buy the ticket, you know, if, if it were up to me. Much less get in that parking lot. But because this guy gives me his credential, he gives me his parking pass, I get treated like I'm him. It went from like, okay, hey, buddy, why don't you get out of here, to like, yes, sir, yes, sir, sorry about that, welcome to the game. I'm nobody. But I get treated like the boss man because I got the parking pass. That's what I'm trying to say. That... That God takes Jesus' credentials, he takes his righteousness, all the good things that he did, that he was and is, and he gives it to you so that he treats you as if you were Jesus. So that means that for the Christian, that when God, God looks at you, when God considers you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, this... I'll tell you right now, like this is as good as it gets. Like this is as good as RUF gets. This is sort of the pinnacle of it all, right? The the fact that that God would count you the same way as He counts His Son for free, because Jesus came to stand in your place. Um. So what it means is that you always know where you stand with God. You know, if you're like me, you probably always kind of wonder. Uh, you know, if you've had a good week, you think, like, God's pretty excited about you and, like, you know, all right, or at least tolerant of you and, you know, he's not ashamed of you. Um, but, you know, if, it's, if it hasn't been such a good week, which is probably just, like, one of a handful of checklists that you have, if it hadn't been a good week, you think God just thinks, like, yeah, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. I don't know how much longer I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you slide like this. But if Jesus comes and stands in our place then you know exactly how God feels about you. 
He feels exactly the same way about you, if you trust him, that he does about Jesus Christ. That's good news. But Jesus identifies with us with his righteousness, but he also identifies, us, identifies with us in our weakness. So Jesus is tempted by the devil himself, and I want to sort of zero in on that for just a couple of minutes and think about this. Because if, if you're like me, you probably default to thinking about Jesus, unfortunately, especially in situations like this, that sort of the Jesus robot. You know, I mean, he, he's Jesus, right? Like, how hard could it really have been? And that it, that it was sort of like, uh, yeah, the Jesus robot, like, you know, Satan says, you know, would you, uh, you know, turn the, sto- the stones into bread? It's like, tempting, but no thank you. You know, like, it, it's just not real. And I want you to remember, I want you to remember what we talked about last week, that Jesus is a real man. In his humanity, he is no different than me and you. We think that he sort of just goes through the motions, but not the the emotions of it. And that's just not true. We see a real man facing these temptations. And so what are they? Let's look at them real quick. First, all right, so Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jesus had not had food for 40 days, over five weeks. All right, so let's put that in perspective. What's today? September the 7th? Okay, I did the math. July 29th. Yeah. Imagine the last time you had food was July 29th. Okay, like all of August. (laughs) July 29th. And and it's legit. 40 days is about the max that the human body can go because other other people, in fact, I've I've known someone that's done it, um, can go without doing permanent damage to your body. So Jesus is honestly hungry. He's not just sort of in God mode and just not eating. He's a man and he's really hungry. And the devil essentially says, comes to him and says, you know, I mean, if you're really the son of God, I mean, if, if you're really the son of God, then, then why don't you just tell these stones to become bread and, you know, you'll be good. And Jesus answers him by saying that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we don't have time to connect it all. We need to, need to keep moving. But again, a scene from the Old Testament uh, in the Exodus Deuteronomy 8.3. And essentially to cut the corner, God's trying to get his people to trust him that uh, that it's not just physical food, that ultimately it's going to be his word that sustains us. And so to cut the corner at the devil's asking would be to not trust in God's word. Second, verse 5, the devil takes him up to the top of the temple and he says, throw yourself down. I mean, if you're really the son of God, then you can launch yourself off of here, and, and in fact, your Bible says, and the devil quotes the Bible to him, two places, that he'll command his angels concerning, throw yourself off and God will send, swoop down and, and save you. I mean, you're, I mean, you are the Son of God, right? God really does love you, doesn't he? And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Third, the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he says it'll give it all to him if he just worships him. All right, so what's going on with that? Seems kind of odd, kind of random. But I think there's a rhyme or reason, a rhyme and reason to what the devil's doing. I think it's this. That essentially what the devil is trying to get Jesus to do, he's essentially saying to him, look, there, there's no need to suffer like this. There's no need to play the role of the, of the suffering servant. 
I mean, if God really loves you, I mean, and he, and he does, right? Because you're his son. If he really loves you, then, then why would you suffer? Like, just time to eat. I mean, if God really loves you, um, I'm sure he'll prove it to you by swooping some angels in, right? Or, or maybe he doesn't love you. If God really loves you, why would you wait, you know, wait and suffer and all that and to have your kingdom later? I mean, just, you can have it now, right? He's trying to get Jesus, he's trying to plant that seed in his head that, I mean, God does love me, doesn't he? I mean, I am the son of God. God loves me, I'm, I'm pretty sure. He's trying to get Jesus to think along those lines. And it's what the devil's always done. It's what he did in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. Uh, remember, he says, uh, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree of the garden? Really? Why would he do that? I'll tell you why he's, he would do that. Because he knows that if you eat that, then you'll be just like him. Basically, the devil's trying to get him to think, God's keeping the good stuff back from you. God doesn't really care about you. Does that, that has to resonate with you, I would think. Because Jesus is facing really the same temptations that we face. That at their core, you know, you've probably never been tempted to like, I don't know, I, I should turn that, I want to turn that stone into bread, but no, I won't. Probably never been tempted along those lines, but at their core, it's the same thing. All of our temptations boil them down, and it's really a question of, does God really love you? Will God really take care of you? To begin to think, you just, you can't quite trust God. You know, will God really take care of my needs as well as they should be taken care of? Eh, probably not, so I need, to, I need to make as much money as I can. I, I think I'll take care of myself. Will God really love me enough to be in control of my life so that things work out the way I want to? And we think, eh, probably not, so I better take control of something. Like my eating habits. Or anything. I've got to take control. Because I'm not sure God will. If God really loved me, then why would sex be only for marriage and I'm nowhere near marriage? It seems like God's holding the good stuff back. So I better deal with sex on my terms and not his. Because if I trust him, it's just not going to work out. And if that sounds familiar, I want you to hear a couple of verses, a couple of passages from Hebrews. Hebrews 2.18. If you're a note taker, you want to write down these references. Hebrews 2.18 talking about Jesus, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see what that's saying? That we have a hero that has come and he, he knows what it's like to be us because he came and he did it himself. That he knows what it's like to be tempted. And because of that, he knows how to help. And he knows how to... He doesn't just sit sort of as the big eye in the sky and say like, all right, so which one's it going to be? You're going to choose me or that? Which one's it going to be? You know, you better, you better pick wise. No, he doesn't do that. Um, he comes... He knows what it's like to be, to be exactly in our place. And so he helps. How does he help? And with this. He, he helps by giving us his word and his spirit. And his word and his spirit both point to the same thing. 
They're always pointing us to the one thing that he knows is going to help. And it's the same thing that helped him. As, as strange as that might sound. You know, why didn't, why didn't Jesus sin? How did he face temptation and not sin? It's because he knew, he knew what his father thought of him. He knew what God thought about him. And it made everything else okay. Think about what just happened. The last thing that happens before he goes and is tempted. He hears the voice of God his father say, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it's that truth. Jesus knows that it's that truth that's going to help us. That ultimately it's seeing that That we don't need Jesus as an example. We need Jesus as a substitute to come and take our place so that we can know what God thinks about us. And if that's true, since that's true, what it means is that Jesus loved us so much that he he didn't cave to temptation so that the same thing that was said about him can be said about you. Because remember, if if what we said is true, that Jesus came and stood in our place and we get his righteousness then that means that God Almighty, if you trust Him, looks at you and He says, you are my, this is my son or my daughter in whom I am well pleased. What a beautiful thing. Do you know a Jesus, do you have a hero that identifies with you? With His righteousness and in your weakness that identifies with sinners, He's offered to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have just scratched the surface. We've probably spent too long to just scratch the surface of an almost unimaginable truth that as messed up as we are, that you would come and take our place. And then some sort of cosmic transaction, you would give us Jesus' righteousness so that you would consider us to be perfect, even though we're far, far from it. Jesus, if we really knew that, if that really, the more and more that that sinks in, the more that will change us. That everything else will fade into the background. And Father, we will, we will rest in your love and, and mercy for us. Jesus, we pray that that would be true of all of us, and if it's not, would you make it so? We ask it in your name. Amen.